0: Wow. And here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. I cannot believe I'm about to say episode 100. It's crazy. Wow. My name is Eddie Cohn. I'm the host, the creator of The Spiritual Spiral. And I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I celebrate or you know what, what's the theme of episode 100 should there be something special and I'm just gonna record another episode for now and allow it to be what I've hoped this show would become and that's an awesome conversation and hopefully create a show an episode that makes people value their free time more value connection, and value conversation. And I'm thrilled to welcome Andy Harris to the show today. And of course, you know, probably my next episode, I'll talk a lot about the coronavirus and sort of the insanity that's swirling around that. But I felt it was very appropriate to have episode 100 be an amazing conversation with a really cool guy, And this show, The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral, there's many elements to it, but one aspect of our culture that is lost now is actually sitting down and having a face-to-face conversation with somebody. And that is really valuable. And I know it's certainly valuable to my life. Every time I feel a little anxious or feel a little disconnected, one way that I feel more alive is having a face-to-face conversation with somebody. And I met Andy probably a year or two ago at a fitness studio that I go to, or at least I went to pretty regularly. And I always thought he was really cool and always really cool energy. But I also found out that he was an actor and writer. And I thought it would be really cool to sit down and talk to him about Netflix, about the landscape of creativity and being an actor here in L.A., and the impact of technology and social media on the creative process. We really dive in and talk a lot about acting and writing. And I also found it really interesting, before I let you go and you hear the conversation, one show that I really always liked on television was The Actors Studio with James Lipton. Because it's one of those rare shows where he really creates a space where actors feel comfortable sharing a bit of their intimate process that they've had with creativity. And that's the thing. That's the other major impact that technology has had on our lives, specifically artist lives. I think, you know, when I'm writing music, writing a book, even creating this podcast, teaching a yoga class, it requires a lot of focus and discipline. It requires a certain part of your brain to quiet down so that you could actually tap in to those creative nuances of your self and technology and Instagram and social media is causing a world where those parts of the brain, I don't think are fully functioning anymore. So I really enjoyed James Lipton's show, and I talk about it a lot on my podcast, and I'm trying to create a similar environment where artists, musicians can talk about their creative process, and I found it really ironic and interesting that Andy actually was a student and went to the actor's studio, so I felt it was pretty appropriate for the 100th episode instead of me going on a rant about, you know, the coronavirus and how insane that all has become. I thought it would be best to celebrate episode 100 by sharing a really awesome, intimate conversation that I had with actor, writer, director Andy Harris. I hope you dig the conversation. And believe me, I'm not trying to make light. Before I let you go, I'm not trying to make light of the coronavirus. You know, there's a lot of insanity, and there's a lot of overreaction happening right now. I believe. I mean, look, maybe I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to get diagnosed with the coronavirus like three months from now. Of course, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But the media and the way that our culture is reacting, I think we're forgetting how formidable the human body is, how strong we can be. And it feels as though the media just wants us all to freak out and we're just forgetting how powerful and strong the human being can be. So just a little reminder there. I'm not making fun just to make fun of it, but I am making fun of our reaction to the coronavirus. I'm not saying it's not maybe smart to wash your hands more often, but these are things that I think people should have been doing anyway. So, um, anyway, I'll get into that more on my next episode, but for now, hope you enjoy the conversation with Andy Harris as much as, as I did. And if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, give it a five-star, write a review. That stuff really helps. Please share the show with your friends. I've got 100 episodes of, I think, some really cool stuff that I talk about. Um, you can visit my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. As far as my book goes, I gave it to seven people to give me some feedback. And the good news is, is one person got back to me and they really thought the book was great. So I'm very encouraged. I'm hoping to do one more draft, which should be quick, maybe like a month. And then it's all about getting some representation and getting the book in your hands. So as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the show. Thank you to Andy Harris for coming over, taking the time to be a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral. And that's it. Yes, as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Mic check one, two. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, but you're leaning back again. So I have to sit like this the whole time. Well, that's the thing. And so I will move the chair. We'll move the chair up. Why are you creating such a problem? Because I want to lean back. You know, I'll just have to turn you up a little bit. But when you lean back, then it doesn't sound as you know intimate. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, then that's why. See? I, yeah. Can't now, you Can't you hear? It sounds yeah, good. Yeah, but now I want to be on my NPR voice. <laughs> you have a good voice. <laughs> this is kind of exciting because. There's a good chance that this is going to be episode 100. Yes. It's I'm in the flow. Well, I've, I've completed 98. Okay. I started recording one last night. See, I have guests. Yes. But I also record podcasts where I have to rant about the insanity of our insane culture. Like when you were on that flight that time? Yes. <laughs> so, well, it's funny because I started recording a podcast last night. Because I was in line mm-hmm. at Sprouts in Westwood. Oh, yes. And you know how you have 10 items or less? hmm Well, there was a woman in the line that had at least 25 items. <laughs> now, I wasn't going to say anything, but it's so funny she's out like there's this basket on the ground and these two Persian ladies are talking about this woman Mm -hmm. and they're saying something like well I don't know where she is but I'm glad I have my stuff down before hers because she doesn't even have less than 10 items she she has at least 25 items oh so she like stuck her stuff there just to save her spot right and then ran to the car so she comes back and she's got this big smile on her face and she's ready to put her stuff down on the conveyor belt and I stop and I say you know ma'am you've got way over 10 items in that basket and then she pulls the old oh i didn't even know i had no idea and, right. and then she says oh I, I didn't realize there were any other lines available and i looked to my left and i'm like "Ah, uh, there's one right there the one with 20 people in it we're
1: distracted man <laughs> that's just how it is that's crazy good so, for you you said no, something though. i but, would have
0: never well here's here's the I'll thing let that boil. so i um she walks away uh-huh. and then one of the Persian women walks up really close to me and you know she must have been in her fifties or sixties and she says, You know, I'm really glad you said something. <laughs> Cause I, I, I wanted to say something. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like people want to say something. Yeah. But they're scared to. And yeah. I, I guess I just don't give a fuck or something. I, I don't know.
1: Living in the city as well, you just never know what people are dealing with or yeah. what someone else how they may react. The only thing that really gets me with that is Back to flights is when the plane lands and people just get up and they start charging down the aisle instead of just like filing out an order. That bothers me too. That's the one. That's the one that gets me.
0: Well, it's funny because I was, we just got back from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Where'd you go? Um, Mexico City and Tulum. Sweet. I just got back
1: as well. I went to San Miguel.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you a really quick story. There was a woman Mm -hmm. in my row during taxiing who of course wasn't just texting oh, she yes. actually was like talking on the fucking phone oh. and we were like 2 minutes away from taking off i but i pushed a little buzzer <laughs> and the flight attendant comes over i'm like hey the lady down the my aisle yeah. a row she's on her freaking phone, mm-hmm. and so the woman next to me, to my right, she leans over and says, "I'm glad you said something because that's just wrong to do." Yeah. I'm telling you, man, yeah, this is hysterical. I just want to know though, like, what <laughs> is there an actual
1: danger we're all in with like being on your phone on the runway? Or well, I read, and if there's not, can we just like let that be known <laughs> yes. so we can all stop having anxiety <laughs> with this thing? Yeah, because as soon about as like it. the wheels touch down. They're quick to be like, "Feel free to use your phone, yeah. blah blah blah." But like as soon as they close the door for takeoff, they're like you have to like turn oh, yeah. your phone off. I was like, "Well, there's a disconnect here. Well, when I read, is this dangerous or not?"
0: I read, you know, if un- like 5 to t- 15 people are on their phone, it's it's probably okay. okay. But if all like 200 people are texting and calling, okay. then that there could sense. be some in- there could be some interference. Right, right. So they're just being a little precautionary. <laughs> yeah. But that makes I, it's sense. just I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, this podcast could go in a myriad of directions. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you're here today because I have, i just was on vacation mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a little depressed.
1: Oh, I So get that (laughs) post-vacay blues. Yeah, I feel
0: that. But then I think just opening up the newspaper and just like the LA Times today is said, you know, I think three more people were diagnosed with the coronavirus today. And I was thinking to myself, if newspapers published... Every time somebody was diagnosed with the flu or Mm -hmm. lung cancer Mm -hmm. or like prostate cancer or something, Mm -hmm. people would maybe be more aware of, oh, maybe I should stop smoking or maybe I should eat better Mm -hmm. because all these people are dying from lung cancer. Mm -hmm. So, why? But they're doing with the coronavirus and it's it's fucking freaking people out. Yeah, and that's why
1: they're printing it. It's sensational. They're getting the clicks, they're getting the info. I was talking to a family member who's a doctor and I was like what's the deal with this coronavirus and they're like uh, people die of the flu every single day and like yeah. you're saying there's no headlines about it I think it's probably more to do with someone who is already ill or dealing with something and then layer that in and it's not going to go so well but it's new and it's hot and people are clicking on it and well, it's freaking people are out are you freaked and there's conspiracies. out conspiracies you know I w- wasn't right And then I was speaking with my neighbor about a month ago, who's a very big conspiracy theorist. Oh, gosh. Those are the worst. And was hearing all kinds of crazy stories that the Chinese government is covering up about what's going on over there and how bad it actually is. Yeah. And I was like, okay, ease up, man. And I'm not kidding you. The same conversation I had with this dude like a month ago are the stories that are rolling out now. So I'm like, oh, maybe he was right. I don't know. But Well, I don't believe anything the
0: Chinese government says
1: anyway. I'm not changing my life in any way. Like, I... I'm shaking hands with people. I'm yeah. washing my hands like normal.
0: Uh, I don't like shaking hands, though. I've never been a big shaker hand. I would prefer to hug somebody, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. which is, and I, people sort of, they're not freaked out. But if I go to a party and I'm meeting somebody for the first time, yeah. I actually you lean in and out. give them a hug. Oh, and see? The, it's weird, but I, I, I would,
1: would prefer that. instantly be your best friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? I'm that as well. Oh, okay.
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't do the handshake thing i don't like it for you yeah yeah but it's because i'm a germaphobe not because it's not because you're like a (laughs) spiritually enlightened being
1: not because i'm I'm sincere (laughs) perfectly fair it's all just to stay healthy um yeah i don't know if i'm freaked out about it uh i'm sure if i have a more direct impact with it i'll get freaked out but right now it's peripheral i've lived in big cities for the past decade and there's a new disease every season it feels like so you kind of get numb to it right um but i don't know the second they start shutting schools down and
0: i think we're on the way i really do and i who and knows? i think who knows? i am so upset and angry mm-hmm. about the media and how they're um sharing the stories and making it, it's sort of like Fox and, you know, or storm watch whenever there's like a potential oh, storm in the neighborhood, you know, all these, all these, they are doing, they, they'll they hide behind. We're doing our job to share.
1: No, this is if, when my cynicism comes
0: out. In yeah, full it's force. so, so like sensational. Doing your
1: job. You're yeah. just licking your chops is what you're doing. Yeah. Because yeah, the sensationalism of it all. Um, yeah. The media, what, What the hell is it? I still don't know. Is it just like a form of a flu or a virus? Like, because I'm certainly not getting that in the headline of exactly like defining what this is and how you can be protected from it. I'm just getting new person died, (laughs) you know, new state under attack by the coronavirus. I'm like, okay, great. Well, yeah, if that's going to be the case, can you help inform and educate me as well? No, of course not. Um, No. So, yeah, I don't know. The media, they like a good... Good epidemic, I
0: guess. Well, yeah. What the problem is, and this sort of um, relates to my podcast, is we live in a day and age now where it is about getting people's attention. And it's. I'm I'm sort of discouraged by how easily manipulated human beings are. And maybe we always were these fragile, mm-hmm. little naive beings that can just get tricked into staring at our phones or staring at Netflix all day mm-hmm. and i see the media is basically like a dopamine um, dealer they're doing <laughs> they're yeah. doing whatever they can to get people to and it, it's a natural human reaction to react to drama mhm and they are providing as much drama as they possibly can. And I think it's freaking people out. And I think
1: that's the sad part of like what the media has become, especially like the news outlets. It's become just more taking advantage of that drama and people's desire for entertainment and to spin a story and their particular perspective so that they can get clench their teeth on it more and more. And that's just I feel like what all the news outlets are now. It's so divided and it's so like the Fox News or the CNN and like the two sides of the story. Right. Versus like getting a clear cut, I don't know, BBC version of it, where it's just like, here are the facts. This is the information and you're good to go. But as opposed to just what's happened now is that dopamine fix of people want to like what's next? What's next? Refresh, refresh. What's the next crazy thing that's happening? And that's cash in the bank to a media outlet, right? Yeah. So this is gold for them.
0: I mean, I know I'm slightly depressed because I got back from a vacation. Mm-hmm. And I know my podcast is bringing awareness to just the, to what I see. But I do feel slightly more hopeless these last few days. And I don't know if it's the combination of what I'm reading in the newspapers. I'm, I'm reading Corona beer. Their sales have actually gone down the of last course. couple. Of years, which is, to me, just so insane.
1: Like someone told me the other day, like, have you been following the Dos Equis story? And I was like, oh, that's funny. I heard that <laughs> yeah, one yet. Poor, that's good. poor Corona beer. They're, getting, right. they're taking it on the chin. Yeah. Were and you, when you went on vacay, were you off the grid? like no phone, all that good stuff. I
0: mean, I, I certainly have my phone to check email, but I make a conscious effort to not look or use social media while I'm away. Isn't that crazy though, to do that
1: nowadays though, if you take three days off and then you come back, look what you come back to. It's crazy. If you take that same vacay a month from now and you're off the grid and you come back a week later, there's going to be something else that's going crazy. Yeah. Especially going into this election cycle and now everything that's happening with that. It doesn't stop and it's not like this like influx of here's the positivity and good news and awakened conscious soul that's happening in the world. It's like the doom the gloom and that's the only thing that people really care about and want to be protected from right. So it's like I think the smartest thing to do is to move to a beach in Mexico and stay off
0: the grid. It's weird, but I really felt I've I've sort of lost faith in the human being. Hmm. It's weird. I know it's a very yeah. dystopian take to, to say out loud. And, and I, I,
1: we're our only hope at the same time. Yeah. So it's like,
0: but I start to think, you know, we keep, we got to a point where I see with technology and information. I love this concept of everybody having a voice. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of the iPod, the iTunes store, mm-hmm. this idea of, all of this music on a one electronic device and then it turns into a phone and I'm, my hand is sort of pointing upwards. I feel as though we are reaching, we were reaching the precipice or the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. but I don't see how it can possibly like, how can we improve what we have at this point? How can it be improved anymore? I feel like it's becoming more destructive with all of this information. A lot of it lies mm-hmm. and it, it basically, it, means that you and I individually have to be really discerning as to what we believe. We have to ask questions. We have to spend time to research. Mm -hmm. And people don't have that time anymore because they think they're busy, but they're occupying it with mostly nonsense. Of course. And so I am a little hopeless. And I'm curious, you know, how are you? You're my therapist. You're my therapist today. Help me out. I mean, how... Because you're always, when I've seen you at at the studio, you've always had a great energy. And I realize you're teaching. And when I teach, I'm, I mean, again, I'm not depressed right now. Yeah, I feel really great and I feel very lucky. But when I look around at the world, Mm -hmm. I sometimes lose some hope. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're feeling the same or how do you get out of that headspace or what gives you hope right now?
1: I just ground myself. Uh, I'm super regimented and when i fall out of that that's when i start to like get off kilter yeah. like this morning i purposefully like got off the regiment i had the opportunity to sleep in so i slept in and then i woke up just like on the wrong side of the bed right but normally i'm like first thing in the morning is meditation and then there's like a sequence of events that i normally follow that just kind of gets me in my flow but I've, what I've learned by, like, kind of developing this for myself was that, like, it's very internal. Like, mm-hmm. I've had to, like, consciously be like, I'm not looking at any text, email, headlines, social media, anything like that until I at least, like, get these elements of my day started. And then I can at least be checked in with myself. So if I'm waking up in a bad mood... I've got nothing but myself to blame. I didn't just like look at a headline and that like threw me off and there went my energy. Right. Yeah. And then eventually once I like kind of go down the checklist of things I like to do to set myself right, if I've done them, then I'll inevitably be in a better headspace and energy to kind of look at these things at a more like neutral space. I think you
0: bring up a really interesting point though. Yeah. And I'm the same. Mm hmm. And it's why I've unfollowed and Mm -hmm. muted so many people on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I'm very discerning about the news that I look at first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. because your brain is emotionally affected by everything that it sees. And, you know, just because you're friends with somebody, the the shit they post on Instagram may actually be really harmful to your psyche. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I've made this conscious effort to Eliminate most everybody in L.A. because I would rather just see them face to face Mm -hmm. and not be subjected to whatever weird shit they're posting.
1: Yeah. And isn't aren't there like interviews or studies that like that shit was literally built on the psychological perspective of how we would react to these things? Like When they like built this master plan of what this would be, it was to take advantage of our human nature to want to look at that and compare to one another and bet that we would refresh and like comment and like, and like interact with. And so absolutely that has like a chemical effect on our brain, on our psyche, on our energy.
0: Have you always been this aware? No. Okay. So is this something you picked up on the last like couple of years? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For what, sure. what was happening where you were feeling like you were, you had to be more aware or careful as to what you were ingesting.
1: A lot of what you were talking about, like the, craziness of the headlines the comparative nature just we have as humans to see someone doing something or to see someone on vacation in Mexico on the beach and be like how fabulous is their life and just to start to like take a step back and realize maybe that's authentic maybe it's not at the end of the day it has no effect on me and so why is it having an effect on me that has more with me than it has to do with something else, right? Right. So now, if I take a look in the mirror, I can reempower myself and decide. Oh, wait. Do I want to take this in? Do I not want to take this in? Like you said, you can unfollow someone just like that. The most beautiful things when I do see like celebrities like clap back at like haters or something like that. They do always acknowledge, like, you choose to follow me. Like, you're taking in this and creating whatever story you want in your head and, like, spitting out negativity or something like that. Right. So with that theory in mind, it was just this idea that I'm in control of my energy. So if it means I need to meditate before looking look at my phone, that just takes me being disciplined to do that. And if I'm not disciplined enough to do that, then there's a greater issue here, right? Right. And I'm sure... Social media is horrible for addictive personalities. And like I'm sure it's turning all of us into an addictive personality one way or another.
0: Well, and the thing that's so disturbing for me is privacy. And I'm not talking about your credit card or your uh, social security number. Right. I think it's creating a world where it's turning people... It's making people feel as though they have to be a performer.
1: Oh, hell yeah. That was... Part of it for me was like recognizing that and others and then looking in the mirror like, well, am I just as guilty as that? And like trying to like reconcile one way or another. And I don't think I was. But I didn't want to turn into that. I didn't want to think like it's easy to be like, I'm going to do this. Oh, the Instagram picture will be so great if I do that. Like, whoa, 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 that is not how to live one's life right
0: it feels as though you need to perform and share every facet of your life to be relevant or for people to remember you
1: yeah we're all our own pr agent all of a sudden as if we need something like that
0: and i don't know I, i mean i just finished my book it's super close at least this draft and and i can't stand instagram because i really do think it's ruining the world But before I get an agent, I do feel like I may have to post more often and sort of be sarcastic and show off my sarcastic sense of humor. And am I a huge hypocrite?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Can you hate on Instagram but still be a member of Instagram?
0: Well... Here's the thing. No, I mean I I've struggled with, I've struggled less with that because I do think if you're a creator and this will sort of transition because I know you're an artist. Mm-hmm. I do think if you're a creator and you have written a song, created a podcast, written a book, just made some short film and knowing that 80 to 90% of people are on fucking Instagram, you are an idiot if you don't use Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I, as a creator, can go to sleep at night feeling like I'm not a hypocrite Mm -hmm. because if I made something that I'm really proud of, I fucking want people to see it.
1: Yeah. And that goes all the way back to like when we were rising in terms of the peak of like iTunes and the iPod, the glorious thing that did, it started to democratize distribution, right? Yeah. So exactly what you're talking about. Like all of a sudden you can be a creator and then the driver's seat of sharing that with your own audience directly, but this is so.
0: There's a virtue of it. This is the problem, though, with with that. And I agree with you. But I liked the system that the record industry had, and even the film industry had before Netflix and Spotify and Napster, because there were people out there that were PR agents that were specifically doing the PR for Andy Harris Mm -hmm. or for Eddie Cohn. And Mm -hmm. then there was a photographer that was doing your photo shoot and they came up with a marketing plan for your short film. And all of those people were really great at their jobs Mm -hmm. and all of those people no longer have a job Mm -hmm. because Instagram and social media have created a world where most artists have to do all of that themselves. And it takes away from the craft, it actually becoming a better actor or a better writer because there's only 24 hours in a day. And that's why I'm so upset about what social media has done to specifically artistry, I think. And I know you're an artist. And so chew on that. I mean, and I know we kind of talked a little bit about Netflix when I saw you a few months ago. Mm-hmm because I think it was about Martin Scorsese, but you know, what do you agree or do you see it as much as I do in the sense of how it's impacted your career as an actor? I, mean, I don't, I don't know. Do you uh, consider yourself an actor or a director or both? Both. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, my training was all acting, but I always say, if you want to be a great director, go get acting training. If you want to be a great actor, go get directing training. Cause right. you're going to work with more of the opposite. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, actor, director, it's weird because the conversations I have in LA and trying to get like a project made depending on who you're speaking with. But if you're speaking with someone that is of the Netflix and stuff like that, it's kind of like what I imagine it used to be, but I don't know because I wasn't here what it used to be, but I think it used to be, I have an idea. I'm going to pitch you my idea. Maybe I'll even write my idea and then we'll go from there. You either like it, buy it, we make it or not, but that's kind of like how it goes. Now, more often than not, I have a conversation with someone and it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. How about you go do everything, <laughs> right. finance it, create it, yes. produce it, literally turn key it and then come back to me. Right. And then I'll tell you whether or not we want to do business. And it's just like, whoa, that's a lot to take on as like the version of me 10 years ago. It was like, I want to be an actor. Now it's like, great. You have to be an actor, a PR a, agent, and a photographer, an editor. And yeah. editor, a sound designer, a producer, and a pitchman, and do all those things before we can come in and like put it all together and work together. And that's not 100% the case, but I have friends that have had some success with Netflix deals and stuff like that, and that's how they got done. They didn't go to Netflix and shake hands with an idea. They went to Netflix after they went to the Philippines and shot a full documentary for months and months and months and raised money over years all over the world to be able to make their project. And then they got the deal with Netflix when they were like, Oh, we saw everything you did. Yeah, we'll take that. Sounds good. And now it's a Netflix original.
0: Well, it's interesting because I've noticed the only thing that I only types of stories I typically like on Netflix are their documentaries. And I noticed they do a lot of them and I got the sense it's because they're so cheap to make or so cheap to buy or to, okay. So they're cheap to buy,
1: not make. There's a difference. But they're and, not even
0: necessarily making them. They're already made and they're just buying them for really cheap. Uh-huh. So I
1: mean, it's not universal. Like that's the crazy thing about the whole streaming world we now exist within in terms of the industry is that what I have seen, it's a mixture of all the above. I think the higher you up you are on the A-list of like fill in the blank of A-list actor can walk in and be like, I have an idea. I'm like, great. Yeah, sign here. We'll make it. But go to someone like me who's just like, I don't have a name that you can put on a billboard and people automatically buy tickets to. So in that case, yeah, you go do everything and then come back to us. And if it's done and we like it, we'll buy it and then we'll change it how we want. Right. Meaning you'll change it how we want. And then we'll put it on our streaming platform as a Netflix original or Amazon prime original or fill in the blank. Um, And so that's tough. So Again, it goes back to the game has completely shifted and it shifts every single day to just you need a little more discipline, you need a little more skill, you need a little more know-how. Isn't all of a sudden just how do I get an agent? I want to be an actor. It's like how do I get an agent? I want to be an actor. So I'll write this story and then I'll find some friends and I'll shoot this story. Then I'll get the money together. I'll submit it to some film festivals. I, I mean, are you
0: then, discouraged at all by this or are you more inspired by it? I would say inspired
1: just because at the end of the day, like how I was trying to fix the microphone, I have a control nature in my psyche to yeah. where, uh, I don't think I would be satisfied if it was just one and like stay in your lane, you go do that and be great at that. I think I have a little ADD where I'm like, oh, I want my hands in all of it and I want to be in the driver's seat more and more and more, but right. it just more and more and more becomes complicated, 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 and isn't as streamlined and simple as it used to be. My, my imagination of what it used to be, that's just the world I live in now, is that like, yeah, I've gotta do it all myself. And maybe one day, if I do it well enough, I won't have to do it all myself. Or I'll have had enough success where I've built the team that we all work together and we know that we deliver.
0: but I'm thinking a bunch of stuff, but I can't help but think if you, quote-unquote, made it as an actor like Leo or Brad Pitt, Mm -hmm. anytime five years ago or earlier, you're okay. Because at least you did something, and they're going to take your phone call. Mm -hmm. But I feel like now... I mean, I I understand and I feel the same. I mean, I'm writing a book and I do a podcast and I DJ and I do all these creative things to sort of create a almost like a, a company where this guy can do all these creative things. And it's exciting, but to make a living, to sustain a career for 10 years, that's the frustration where there's no sense of longevity Mm-mm. anymore. It's like, let's get... Was th-
1: there ever? I mean, you well, said like...
0: Let me interrupt okay, really quickly. Yeah, like because I got the sense with the record labels 10, 15 years ago, they would give the U2s or the Aerosmiths or the John Mayers, you know, a three or four record deal for $5, $10 million. Granted, they're still taking a shitload of money from the artist, But at least it's amount of money where they can spend the next five to six, seven years honing their craft, getting better. And I don't sense those types of systems are in place anymore. Mm -mm. And that's why I think newspapers are closing. I mean, that's also partly related to the fact that people just aren't reading anymore. But that's why I just feel as though there's less and less artists creating Mm -hmm. because that dream of making a living as an artist Mm -hmm. is, the door is closing.
1: hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah, that's a, but then that has to go back to looking yourself in the mirror and then why are you doing it in the first place? Yes, there is absolutely the dream to just be able to create your art and let that be the thing that. Sustains your livelihood. And may we all be blessed with that. But if someone were to tell you, you will never sustain a livelihood based on your
0: art, would you still do your art? And the answer is, it's a great question. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yes. And great.
1: Yes. If the answer is any hesitation of absolutely, then that's a bigger issue. That one has to look at themselves and we can take this in a lot of different directions because you can talk about the purity of artistry or you can talk about, well, like that's one conversation, but the other conversation still goes back to like the logistics of like the evolution of all these entertainment industries and how does one transform from someone just doing it for the passion of it to being supported in it. And I don't know. Uh, That is an evolving answer. Yeah. But I think the more important question is, like, would you still do
0: it? Yeah, but I think once you get by that, to me, it's it's a no-brainer. Like, I just spent two years of my life in my free time writing a book, an idea that I came up with. Mm -hmm. It's opened up crevices and caverns in my brain that I know have never been open before. Beautiful. And it's why we do it. Yeah. And I, but now that I'm getting close to done, I am thinking about, and I have a friend who just made a short film. She spent Uh $25,000 and she's sending it to film festivals. Mm -hmm. She's not getting yeses as of now. Mm Mm-hmm. And thank God I haven't spent $25,000 on this book, you know, but God, it would feel great to sell it. God, it would be great to get an agent. And and I'm not, I didn't do it for the money, but I know that if an agent comes along who's fucking good and a publishing company who's really good, they're going to do a hell of a lot better job than I am of marketing and selling it. You know, even if I spend four grand and self-publish it with Amazon, which ultimately I may do. And, and you know, on the one hand, that's exciting because any artist can write a book and spend $4,000 and quote unquote self-publish it. But to really make that dent, to really be like the Jensen Ceros, um, the, the, be a badass person, where then they create merchandise and then, mm-hmm. you, you know, to really get to that level. I mean, I know the Celestine Prophecy writer started out self published and then it was picked up. But, like, those stories of the self published writer becoming gargantuan, it's just like that's why I felt and I get, I mean, I guess back to your question about would you do it for the money? I mean, or would you would you do it just for the artistry? Yes, of course. But I also would fucking love it if it sold and people mm-hmm. like went gangbusters and read it, which is just like how I'm sure you look at the way that Absolutely. you Absolutely. So Yeah,
1: but I also like I don't know, the older I get, I almost look at it like a lottery ticket, man. Like I would do it nonetheless, but if yeah, the numbers hit that would be dope. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But
0: like, do you feel like it's, a, do you feel like it's the equivalent now of making a hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand $500,000 a year? And that's not even a lot compared to Leonardo DiCaprio. Is that a lottery ticket now? to make that as, as an artist. A, yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think it was always a lottery ticket. I think it was a lottery ticket for Leo to hit it at 12 years old or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, have you read, uh, Steven Pressfield's turning pro? No. Cool book. And okay. Cool author. Uh, I think he lives in LA, Um, but he's wrote all kinds of stuff. He talks a lot about, I don't know, he wrote for like 17 years or it was 17 screenplays before he ever made a dime and it was a $3,500 option and the movie never got made and then he's written all kinds of stuff. But his point was like this conversation, like he's going to create it no matter what. But yeah, it'd be really cool if all of a sudden it transformed from the hobby to the profession. But the point in the book is that like the difference between the amateur and the professional is just the discipline and you're doing it no matter what. But he talks a little bit about these things. But as far as the industry and like selling a book or selling anything or selling yourself. Yeah. I think it's a lottery because again, kind of being in this like Hollywood world for a few years, it's kind of realizing uh, there's little, Weight that matters on the quality of the product as to whether or not it sells. It is more to do with, and this may be cynical, but the money, the power behind the marketing push of the product. You see it all the time. A bad movie that at least turns a profit. Right it had nothing to do with whether it was a good or a bad movie. It had to do with how much money the studio spent to spread it throughout this wonderful media world of clickbaits and all these other things to get people to buy tickets and go to the movie. And that's the power of having those people behind you and winning that lottery ticket. And someone saying, we're taking your product and we're going to spew it to the masses versus you could have written the best book in the world. But if you don't, Get it out there. No one will ever know. Right. Do not write the book. I have a theory that we'll never know who the best basketball player in the world ever was because they lived in a little village somewhere that no one ever saw their skills. But th- were they not the best? It just To me, it always just comes down to do the work no matter what. And eventually, maybe, the right avenue will find you to where you're able to pump your work through that channel and it gets seen by the masses. But uh, yeah, I wish the wild success for us all, but I made a short film once and no one saw it, but I, I screened it and it was about a dude who has a stutter and stuff like that. And then the end of the film. A teenage girl came up to me and was crying and was like, thank you so much. Like I've never seen a movie like that. That kind of was reflective of my experience because she had a stutter I was like, ah, yeah, the feeling you're talking about, about like getting an agent who's going to say we're giving you a million dollar advance and we're doing a two hundred fifty thousand dollar media buy to promote your book. I don't know what would have been better, that or that little girl coming up and saying this meant a lot to me. And like it sounds romantic, but it's true. And like that's like the little thing I hold on to all the time. And I think that would probably be even more lasting than. Someone be like, "Oh, we're buying your short film and putting it on Netflix, and here's all your money, and now we're gonna make a series out of it and all those stuff like I would love for that to be the case, but I don't know if certainly it's not the purpose behind it, and I don't know if that would ever be the validation behind it either. Yeah, I'd rather the validation to come from within, like when I wake up in the morning and I meditate and have my juice, and those are the things that set me off right versus The end product of someone saying, here's a monetary value for what you've done. So then good job. And that's the only thing that really like gives me that sense of satisfaction.
0: I'm, I want to backtrack, but I still, I want to ask a couple more things about this. Cause I'm intrigued. Please, no, but this area, digging. this area it always intrigues me. Yeah. Well, again, I think. This is the paradox and the conundrum that I find myself in. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I've created the podcast and I write sarcastic, snarky comments on Instagram is because, you know, When you're really creating and you're writing a book or you're with five people writing a script or making a movie, it requires such focus, discipline. It needs to be, it's an open canvas and the brain can sort of bounce around ideas and it's these moments of inspiration and it's almost impossible to even explain Mm -hmm. It's almost like this strange spirit is coming down. Because I've had moments as I was writing my book where I had no idea where I was going. And then I went for a walk and all of a sudden I had an idea and I went and bam.
1: Totally. And
0: it's this really beautiful process. Mm -hmm. To me, you know, sending a DM in a text and, and being on Instagram promoting yourself is the complete opposite. Oh, yeah. I hate it. So that's why I get so frustrated by what the world is feels as though it's asking artists to become now as they really aren't you know an artist is an introvert and instagram is an extrovert and i do feel like the 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 most successful artists now are going to be the ones that are really able to navigate that or actually just as equally extroverted as they are an introvert. And and one other point, and this actually connects to your Instagram, because I followed you today, Uh and the first post that I saw Mm -hmm. was a photo of you and James Lipton. Yeah. And I talk about him, actually. No way. Well, and I'll tell you why. Tell me. Because the creative process is this intimate, unique process. Yeah that I've always been intrigued by. And I'm not an actor, but that was one of the very first, if not only shows that I remember seeing as a kid, Mm -hmm. where I actually connected with what the actors were saying. As a musician, as a singer...
1: Yeah, because the artist was talking. The
0: artist was talking.
1: Not the external And I loved extrovert Instagram. Yes. And person. this was
0: well before Instagram was around. Yeah. So talk to me about that photo and talk to me about your creative process and and, yeah. and I wanna backtrack also, but just
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, Uncle Jim. Uh, I went to the actor studio drama school. Oh you so did? So that's the okay. connection. Yeah. Okay. So that's the picture. That was the last day of our repertory season. So it's a three year program and in your third year it culminates with a theater repertory season. And he would go religiously. Like he was just kinda like this little I don't know, I don't want to say angel, that's not the word. Uh he was just always there. He was still supportive of the program. He uh he created it. Um and he would go every week it was like a four week repertory season. Every week was a different set of shows and he would come and graciously speak with everyone and to everybody. They did a great job, stuff like that. But just like you, he was all of our inspiration. And so for him to like kind of be in the flesh and there and supportive was pretty awesome. So that was crazy. Yeah. He passed away, I guess a few days ago. Um, So I'm lucky. I just have, handful of pictures with him when he would show up to our shows well i didn't even know that he passed away yeah he passed away a of, that's why i posted okay yeah, yeah interesting yeah so yeah I've that's really amazing been pretty inactive on instagram to be perfectly honest um trying to take as much of a digital detox as i could yeah I,
0: well i noticed that yeah. that you didn't have a lot of posts over the last like four or five months but yeah, so wow kind of so whirlwind uh, so, but james lipton yeah yeah i I don't know. I refer to the, his show a lot because I just think it really was one of those yeah. few shows that really talks about that process.
1: yeah, he was always committed to the show would never deal in gossip and sensationalism. so it certainly inspired a generation, if not two generations of artists who connected with that, and he would interview actors and musicians and writers and everything in between um and so yeah for me that show was like everything right. I, I can recite episodes of that show word for word oh wow um and yeah so that's what essentially brought me to new york was to try and study there and i did um, wait so
0: where are you from i'm from louisiana you're from louisiana yeah yeah and so um when did you feel you wanted to become an actor
1: Young, but I was chicken shit. Yeah. Yeah. And people aren't actors. Like our actors aren't real. Right. What you see in TV and movie? Like those are aliens. Like that's like not even in the realm of possibility. So it just was never even a thought that I had that you could do. And so cut to like college, started dabbling in some theater. So you didn't do any in high school? I did one musical.
0: Okay. Yeah. Was, was Was that feeling good?
1: Oh, it was, yeah, it was everything. Okay, cool. Anytime I got to be on a stage or do like a sketch comedy show in high school, things like that, it was cloud nine. But the focus, just being a Louisiana good old boy, was always like sports and yeah, stuff like that, right? right. right.
0: Uh, the parents were like cool about you acting and all that stuff? Until
1: I really wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were cool. Yeah like when I was younger and yeah, sure. being in the musical whatever. That's fine. Yeah. But I'm um, going to New York to become an actor. Like what? So yeah.
0: when did that like, tell me what age or what, what happened with that?
1: I mean, I guess I was, it was right after undergrad. So I went to LSU. So, okay. uh, not far from home, did a little bit of theater in college where I met a teacher who basically opened my eyes to what was possible. And I was like, Oh, shit. Yeah. Wait, what, is, this. what does that
0: even mean, though? Like,
1: uh, It was a theater teacher. I took an improv intro to acting improv class at LSU, and the teacher just like turned my world upside down because he like saw something in me and yeah. like encouraged it. That's so important. I'd never had that. Yeah, that's great. Never had that. Um, yeah. And that changed everything. He like cast me in my first show, and it just planted the seed that was growing and growing and cut to finishing college and I had no idea what I wanted to do, what I should do. All I knew is I wanted to be an actor, and it was still not tangible to me. All I knew was this show, <laughs> Actor Studio. James Lipton. them. Right, right. So you got to go to New York. You got to go to the Actor Studio. Yeah. And so eventually, I made my way up to New York. I booked a one-way flight. Had like a couple of bucks in my pocket from like what I'd saved up. But what, what, I'm just
0: curious. What did your parents say? Like, were they pissed or?
1: Well, I was never really up front because <laughs> I was slick. <laughs> I've got two older sisters, one of which was getting married. And I booked a one-way flight that took off the day after my sister's wedding. So they were stressed. They were, like, consumed with dealing with right. wedding issues. It was sly. And they were just like, oh, he's just going for a trip in, to New York, I guess. He right. just finished school and it's summer or whatever. And I never, never went home. Funny. And then eventually I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, Got but a place. You, so, you knew all along, you were, Oh yeah.
0: had you already like applied kind of a thing or no. okay. Uh,
1: the long story short of getting into the actor studio was I went to New York, was there for a summer, sublet in a friend's place up in Harlem before Harlem was cool. Some good <laughs> stories about that um, and basically just got a desk job so I could pay rent and stay in the city and started studying taking like one-off acting classes. And then that desk job was going to be the end of me. I did that for like two years. The first year I had the application to the actor studio and it didn't have the balls to even send it in and then cut to that exact date a year later. I was sitting at that same desk and still wasn't going to send in an application and realized if you don't ever send this application, you're going to be in the same spot year after year after year. Send it in and it all worked out. Um, that's when it became real what I had to like tell my parents I was going to be an actor (laughs) and go to grad school for that. And yeah, um, yeah, it, it worked out.
0: So, okay. So you're in, you're doing the actor studio thing. It's a three-year program, mm-hmm. so it's pretty extensive.
1: Oh, yeah, it's full-time, like three years all day, every day.
0: And then you graduate, and then, like, what happens in, in New York, and then you eventually end up out here? Uh, Finish grad school. And are you, like, doing commercials or plays at this point, or it's just school? And
1: It's school with a mixture of a litany of short films and black box independent theater for two of your closest friends. Right. Um, and it becomes abundantly clear that like, just because you got a degree from the actor studio doesn't mean you're going to turn into Leonardo DiCaprio the second they give you a diploma. Right. Right. And so that's what inspired me to start writing and create my own. Um, and so I made a short film. We did it, played some festivals that happened i was like great time to go to hollywood and so came to la with a short film in my pocket said bragging about whatever festivals we went to and learned quickly they're like yeah who cares what are you doing next i'm like oh damn you gotta figure that
0: out how long you been here for now uh three and a half
1: oh so not that long i guess so i don't know it feels long but time melts out here
0: it does it all just man that's a good good one it does. It does melt away.
1: Someone, I guess, warned me. I don't know if that's the word, but mentioned that before I came out here, who has had been living out here from New York. And I was just like, yeah, just the way the seasons kind of don't exist one day can easily turn into the next. So I've always held that close to my heart of just like, it's real easy to get comfortable out here. And... That can be counterproductive to creativity and ambition. And so that's what it's done for me and the positive of giving me space, kind of back to what we were talking about, for the artist, the creative to need that space to be able to find that flow to create. I'm able to do that better here than I could in the city but i'm really glad i lived in new york at the time i did because it certainly gave me this work ethic this ambition and this energy at the time i needed it and i don't know it's kind of yin and yang now
0: yeah well i was thinking about the parallel often with musicians because mm-hmm. there's often that criticism of the sophomore slump with with bands where you know their first record's amazing and sells millions of records and and yeah. And it's because they've probably because they didn't have a record deal and they spent like five, six, seven years with something, and then it it hits. Then they get the money, and then the record company wants them to produce something else within like a year or two. And then there's expectations and anxiety, and there's it lacks that freedom that they had before the first record. Mm -hmm. So it is sort of interesting, you know, we obviously live in this capitalistic world now. So you need to make money. And I think that's why I think a lot of bands, you know, they're maybe they're in college when they're making that first record, so they don't mm-hmm. have to worry about money per se mm-hmm. as much. I don't know. It's it's an interesting transition or conundrum. It's it's dealing with making money, but also giving yourself the space and freedom to create and allow it to sort of unfold as it should.
1: Yeah. I think there's something when you're forced into a corner, you're your most creative. So when you have limited resources, that's where the gold comes from. It seems like torture and that it's impossible, but if the drive is there and the talent is there to support it and the discipline to like see it through, there's something to be said about limitations actually being the thing that's gonna fuel your best work and so the sophomore slump you nail it with your debut because no one who (laughs) knew who the fuck you were you had nothing to lose it was filterless it was raw you put your soul out there because you were gonna do it anyway because your spirit just needed to get out and be free and be heard cut to (laughs) the edges get a little softer it gets a little easier you have a little more option maybe a little more time And I can see how that can, in the end, maybe produce something not as good as the first. I mean, this goes back to the Netflix conversation with Scorsese and uh, what was the name of the movie? Irishman. Irishman, my
0: favorite movie. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and I did enjoy all the press throughout this award season when people would give Scorsese shit to his face about, well if we had $250 million from Netflix, we could have done this, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I wonder what kind of film that film would have been if the budget was modestly $100 million less and time needed to be tighter. I wonder if it would have been better. It certainly would have been different. Would it have been worse? I don't know. I'm not here to judge it one way or the other, but I think there's something to be said about having a limitation of resources and I don't know, just fuck it. I'll judge it. I think it would have been a better movie if it was an hour shorter or it would have been a dope series. If it was a six, eight part series. Yeah. I didn't have the attention span for a three and a half hour movie.
0: Let me, let me throw a theory out at you and I want to hear what you think. Yeah. I think artists, only have a certain amount of time or headspace Uh or when the planets align to create something of high quality. And I think it's why the U2s in the world, who to me are one of the greatest bands ever, still have put out garbage. And it's why... Coldplay, I thought their first couple records were amazing, and and I think now they're putting out Garbage. And I think Martin Scorsese, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, he's had those good moments. Yeah, but like... But I thought The Irishman was just literally trash. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was trash. I don't think it was trash, but I think there were, I don't know,
1: it's easy to armchair expert or sit back here and like, be like it would have been better if they just would have done this i mean whatever it's his piece of art he can make whatever he wants and good for him he won the lottery that he gets 300 million dollars right i like how everybody (sighs) exaggerates the budget (laughs) like yeah it was probably whatever it was it gets exaggerated by 50 million
0: if it wasn't martin scorsese no nobody would have given a fuck no and that's my point in the sense that like coming
1: back to that right yeah
0: and like, this new Coldplay record that came out, like, a month ago, I think, is garbage. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't Coldplay, mm-hmm. that record, like, wouldn't even be released because nobody well, that goes
1: would... goes back to, like, my cynical statement earlier of, like, <laughs> the quality of the work doesn't necessarily dictate whether or not it's going to be heard or seen. What dictates that in today's world is marketing
0: dollars. And yeah, or you're lucky enough to have got in a name for yourself before all this bullshit. I mean Martin Scorsese made Taxi Driver maybe in the early seventies or something or mid seventies and Coldplay came out with parachutes in like ninety eight or something. So people will still remember that name Coldplay and people will still ignore Martin Scorsese's Age of Innocence because at least he made like Raging Bull and Goodfellas and at least oh if I see that name more than likely it's gonna be pretty fucking good.
1: Yeah, it's a brand.
0: Yeah, I guess right.
1: Yeah. Coldplay is a brand. Scorsese is a brand. And that's what all these big businesses bet on or brands like that's what sells. So I can't fault them for that. You and I are trying to create brands of sorts, you know, within our art so that our art does fit into this capitalistic society so that we can be financially rewarded to feed ourselves, and then to create more art.
0: I think gatekeepers are really important. And I think producers... And like the executive at NBC who's determining what shows should get on NBC. I I don't know. Like Netflix to me is like just gobbling up everything. And everyone. And everyone. If you're talking about executives, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. They're poaching left and right. But they're
0: picking up the ones that to me already, you know, have a track record that have already become successful.
1: Yeah, it's how they they, decide
0: who to poach. (laughs) But are they really taking—it's weird. I'm I'm caught in this conundrum of, like, anybody can record a song tonight and put it up on Spotify. Uh Anybody can record a movie and throw it up on Vimeo or YouTube or something. Totally. But— Unless you're like ripping off your clothes or being over the top. I mean, what is something with like great quality? Is it really breaking through? And I just saw Hunter on Netflix first season and one season one and two freaking loved it, mm-hmm. but it's David Fincher, mm-hmm. you know, so that show wouldn't be on there if it wasn't for David Fincher. And could somebody have made that show mm-hmm. who had no track record and would Netflix have been willing to take a shot? No. Yeah. And that just fucking pisses me off, you know?
1: Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how much you can blame the industry and its current evolution because the same could have been said for, I mean, go back to Scorsese and Raging Bull. If it was Scorsese, would a studio have let some independent filmmaker no one has ever heard of make a black and white movie and then have the star of the movie gain 60 pounds and like all these things, all the risks that they got to take, it doesn't happen. And if there isn't mean, mean streets and a brand behind it before the fact,
0: yeah. Um I just don't think people are taking those chances anymore. And I get no, they I've, I've had people tell me that I've had people from
1: studios straight up. Be like, no, we don't do original anymore. <laughs> we just go into the library of art uh electrical intellectual property that we already own and what can we recycle? And we work with the same five production companies that we've worked with for the past like 30 years or 40 years. We just do that work and that's not universal. There's a risk being taken here and there, but I would say when you're looking at the majors, the conversations I have had personally have been very risk averse on their behalf. So that means we're not taking chances on new talent that no one's heard of, like maybe would have been possible back in the day. But then the sidestep to that conversation is there's all these new outlets that need content. Yeah.
0: And so it's like, I don't know, but then you're dealing and I agree with you. And I think about that. Like there's, uh, there's so many fucking television channels and YouTube channels and this and apps where people can watch, but there's just too much. And for anything to break free, you need i believe the amazon prime or the netflix and their marketing to get something to break free or break through now because yeah but you, you could, even have to be at the top
1: of the top because i've known people who've been on those and it didn't break through just because free. you got on a netflix deal yeah doesn't mean it you're buying a house in the palisades like you might be just the same as The independent artist you were before you had Netflix on your resume now, and hopefully now you have some cred and it'll parlay into the next one. So it's not an end-all be-all. It certainly helps, but I don't know. I think it still just goes back to the quality of the work does matter for the sake of the artist. I don't know if it matters 100% for the sake of the business. Hmm it helps my god if the movie if the song the record is actually good (laughs) and we put money behind it yeah forget about it but if it's mediocre but we got a
0: name attached people are still going to be gullible to go we're going to be all right. yeah yeah yeah, for sure we can make that work I mean because I can see um, why Paramount backed out of The Irishman they're like nobody's leaving the house anymore people are fucking staying on their couch every day Um, and, and that's Uh, Two more points, and I'll let you go. One relating to tech, and then one relating to sports. Um, The biggest hurdle right now Mm -hmm. for everybody is to get people off their fucking couch. Mm -hmm. Because literally, you can just stare at Netflix, stare at your phone, sit on your ass, Mm -hmm. and Paramount's like, we got this three-and-a-half-hour movie. I don't care if Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are in it. Nobody's going to go home, leave their house for, for, it'll ultimately be five hours when you're dealing with like drive time and parking. It's not going to happen. So, sorry, Marty, but we're not going to finish this movie. And then that's when Netflix comes in and saves the day. I, I just, I think all of this that we're talking about, and this isn't about complaining, but when I look out and rarely see a movie that's that good, when I mm-hmm. I mean Mindhunter finally is a show on Netflix that blew me away. But of course, already David Fincher's attached. Yeah. When they see us is freaking amazing. But Ava Duvernay, who already had a track record, is attached. Succession blew me away, like one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. HBO is probably the only network right now that to me is creating like real originally good content Mm -hmm. because they haven't gone to the binge drop it all at once yet. Although Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they're going to, maybe you know better than I. Uh,
1: I don't don't know. know. I don't know what HBO's like plans are with all that. Uh, I do know some writers that are on some Netflix shows and they've admitted to me how kind of, I don't know if disheartening is the word, but they've been in the industry a while. And back in the day when you used to like you put a year into a show before it gets released. And then used to be it would get released one episode at a time. So you would have a few episodes to really like build arc and story Mm. and character and if, you know, episode or week one, like they didn't tune in, just wait. We got them on week two and yeah. they didn't do it on week two. Oh, my oh, God. The so payoff on week three. Uh, but now I'll be like, man, well, you know, the room starts and we pump out all the scripts over six, seven, eight, nine months. And then they go and they shoot for six months. And it's like a year, year and a half worth of work. And it's just and that's overnight. It. That's it. Yeah. And all you have is that night, kind of like all you have is opening weekend in film, right? So it's changed the game in that way, creatively speaking, for the artist. But it's also like evolve or move on, which sounds harsh. But no, you're like, right. like, all right, well, that's how it used to be. You used to have that time to like slowly snowball all those things. Now you've you got to hit them with it. you got to punch them in the jaw with it. And now it just becomes a new style of storytelling but it's still storytelling right yeah
0: i think it's just subpar i, I just i to me netflix it, is resorting it, more is on, it
1: subpar or is it just that there's so much out there it's easy no, to I put a general subpar label on it all but I think we're in the sub- golden age of television we're the best tv that's ever been in, made has i think been made. hbo
0: is the only network that consistently is putting out shows that just blow my mind and I, I think mm-hmm. the others just aren't. And it's because they have adopted this new way of storytelling where it's about speed, get it out as fast as we can. And it's about resort relying on the cliffhanger. They don't care per se about story and plot. They care about those last five minutes yeah. to do something that's going to get you to watch the next episode. Certainly. And, and I don't think HBO is doing that. I, Euphoria. I don't know if you've seen that show. Fuck it! It's just like, have you seen Succession? Wow! I mean, I'm not a big TV guy, but those two shows like just blow anything that mm-hmm. I've seen on Netflix or mm-hmm. I mean Amazon Prime. I was encouraged by Fleabag. I thought that was totally really like yeah. to me. Fleabag, Mindhunter, Hunter. I know it's on Netflix, but that's one of the shows on Netflix that I love. Succession, Euphoria. They are so at a higher playing field Mm -hmm. and everybody else is just sort of like muddling around in this let's trick them with a cliffhanger let's just get it out as fast as we can i I
1: don't know there's a lot of content out there nowadays and it's the blessing and the curse i guess and i just like the sensationalism of the headlines it's on us to sort through it all
0: Oh my gosh! I knew my cat.
1: (laughs) Nelly, no. Get in here. She can come. One last
0: question. Yeah. yeah. Were you a, are you a sports fan, right? Yeah. The cat just got in, and Andy's allergic to cats, so if I sneeze, excuse me. There's an ER around the corner. Okay, great. There's urgent care. (laughs) Um, She has to be heard, doesn't (laughs) she? (laughs) Nelly, come on. I, I want to figure out how to ask this. I, ever since Kobe Bryant passed away, I, and I had a guest on a few months ago who at the age of 28 was diagnosed with lymphoma, stage three. Yeah. And I think maybe this is also contributing sort of to my, like the meaning of life. And I'm thinking about life and death. Nellie, get down. <laughs> Nellie, come on. He's allergic. He's going to freak out he's gonna turn red speaking of life and death yeah exactly (laughs) i just are you religious Mm -mm. were you thinking me neither were you thinking about do you think about dying
1: yeah a lot lately you have Yeah, yeah i had a blood clot like four or five months ago that changed everything
0: like what what happened what do you mean
1: uh it's common, it's called d v t Wait,
0: Nellie, come on, get down, deep brain thrombosis, yeah, Nelly, I've never heard of it man. get down, Nellie, come on, wait, Andy's she's talking? cool, she's chilling, yeah, but she's knocking her knee or her chin against the mic, so wait, okay, so what ha- you had, you what were the symptoms or what was happening?
1: I took a trip, I went to uh Germany, and it was just a long route, and basically it was twenty hours of travel, and it was like a perfect storm, like I wasn't hydrated, I never stood up, all those things and Long story short, ended up with DVT. Didn't know what it was, but had all the practical symptoms. So as soon as I got home,
0: checked like, it out. So what was what was happening?
1: Literally, it just was like a cramp in my calf, which made no sense. I was like, that's weird. And I didn't do anything. So yeah. I did everything you're not supposed to do. Massaged it, all those things, which could literally kill you. Um, you can break off the clot, and it goes to your lungs, and you're done. Um, and so anyway, came home. I'm the healthiest person I know, literally. And so, like, I was just like, how does this happen, right? Yeah, totally. There ain't all the tests. There's no, like, reason it should have happened. I was just like, yeah, shit, luck." Yeah, it was, like, the perfect storm. You got d D DVT because of the travel and all that stuff. Uh, So I had to be on blood thinners for three months. That's the minimum you have to do them. So they were like, come back in three months, and we'll tell you if you have to do them for three more months. Never been on any medication in my life. And I went from, like, being as active as as I've ever been, to not be able to do shit, you can't like get a bruise, you can't like get hurt, you just have to slow down, because they were just like doctors were like you should be fine, but if you think you're not fine, you need to rush to the ER and you can't waste a second, and it's just like what? So instantly, life became very precious. I, for the first week of that. I went to bed every night being like, I wonder if I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. Uh, and I just look up at my ceiling and there's like a little fire detector. I'm gonna just watch the light beep for hours. i like afraid to go to sleep because one of the side effects of like the blood thinner is like just like circulation hmm. issues, which is the issue to begin with. Uh, but one can be a heart attack. It would make like my extremities fall asleep easy. So symptom of a heart attack is like your arm goes numb, right? right? So I remember the first night I went to bed with it. I was scared to go to bed. And I woke up in the middle of the night and my arm was completely asleep. And I literally yeah. jumped out of bed and just started violently shaking my arm. Because like, I'm either having a heart attack or my arm is asleep. And I don't know the difference. Right. And thank God my arm was asleep. But it forced me all of a sudden to realize, ooh, yeah, this isn't guaranteed. This is precious um so how are you spending your time um and that's when a lot of like the meditation and all that started to come into play and considering every day and how i spend it um what do i want to do with the time i have and it came back to the art right if all you have is a few more months would you create your art or would you just go like on a bender um (laughs) Would you create it if you knew like there wouldn't be that big payoff at the end
0: because you wouldn't be here for it? Think, the, these questions started to arise. Yeah. Do you think about like what's next? Like and that's I think it's like funny. afterlife. Well, I've just I mean two questions. It's weird. I found myself to be more scared of flying than ever, mm-hmm. and I I never really used to be anxious about it.
1: Wait till you get a blood clot because you flew.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you're not going to fly for a while, right? I
1: didn't fly for a long time. I've flown a couple of times since, but I do. I've got a routine
0: now. Yeah. There's just, you know what it is when you're driving a car, although I know driving is much more dangerous. Right, right. I get the sense if I did get into a car accident, at least there's a chance that I would survive. Mm -hmm. But with a plane, there's no fucking way you're going to survive. And that way of dying, I think about like... How I'm going to die?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. I just I get nervous about that, and I just I I don't know. I'm I'm not terribly old, and I'm in really good shape. I'm in great shape, but I just know that this shit could stop tomorrow. And you know what's what's my legacy? You know what what have I left? Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's it's kind of scary.
1: Yeah, it can certainly be scary, or it can be motivating. Yeah. And I've chosen that, but only because I've gone through the whole roller coaster of emotions, having dealt with that recently, which is so minor compared to what a lot of people fucking deal with. So it just put it all in perspective for me. Um Yeah, I mean no, I don't really think about what's next. I don't know. It it's just like Who knows what next? Hopefully you get another ride. You just punch your ticket. I know. That's what I'm hoping. I don't know what's next. All I know is that what's now and how do I want to spend my time and who do I want to spend it with? Those sorts of things that I think I'd been really removed from for a while. I think that's when like the social media detox started to happen that's why i just i think it's a waste of time internalization started to happen i started reading more sort of rereading books that i read back in the day i started rereading journals from back in the day i was like inspiring myself from shit i wrote like a decade ago i was like oh damn i wish i would have taken my own advice you know yeah and so it just proved that oh you tapped into something at one point so it's there and you still need it um but i think maybe i'd stopped listening maybe i became too numb from it all the all the everything that we're constantly being thrown at and consuming. So I just try to simplify my life. Um, That's a daily struggle, but (laughs) that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, I don't know what's next. You're going to come back as a cat
0: because you're allergic. Wouldn't that? Man, cats
1: got it good. I wish I wasn't allergic. (laughs) Man, they're cool. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Do you have an answer for what's next?
0: I mean... I'd like to believe that I come back as something else.
1: Like yeah. something else, like a like, cat?
0: Like, yeah, like, a, like an animal yeah. of, of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's weird. I have really strong senses. Like my nose can smell everything. Uh-huh. And my ears are so sensitive. Yeah. I've. <laughs> I think I used to be a dog. Probably. I, I believe in that. I believe, and I love cats now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really, but I
1: even like, I, I believe absolutely in all that. That yeah. we have past lives and that stuff manifests itself now, past trauma, things like that. Oh, yeah, so definitely. that certainly now leads to future versions of ourselves. But also, like, we're naive as shit if we're thinking this planet and this existence is the only form in which life can exist, right? Yeah if we're spirit then it's something greater beyond our imagination right Um, so who knows I think that's kind of like the beautiful mystery of it all Um, but I think that is the part going back to the artistry and finding flow I think in those beautiful moments like you said when you get stuck and you go for a walk and all of a sudden it all just like locks in and you find your path I think those are when we're connecting with whatever's next and whatever was and I think that's our that's what we're really longing for when we're stuck in our phone (laughs) that that's the real dopamine fix we want are those moments where like we feel connected to whatever it is we're longing for and because we're all longing to be heard seen or understood or something or another when we connect to that that's the good shit and I think it only comes from within um I don't know well,
0: Andy, I this was a long time coming. We had talked about doing this you for did. a while. I'm yeah. glad it happened. I am too. I think um I was excited you were gonna come over because I've been struggling the last few days just mm-hmm. being back and then I, I had the sense that a good conversation was going to fill me up and bring back the equilibrium mm-hmm. and, and it has. And I think okay, it's good, so, it's sort of the the um, it's just proof that if you put the phone down and, and have a face-to-face conversation and talk. It, I think good things happen. And yeah. When we connect. Yeah. That's I, what it's about. I've always liked you in class and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk on, on the podcast.
1: Lord, man. Thanks for having me.